In our field, uh, the customers are not shy about complaining about things that they don't like. So uh, just reading the customer service emails, uh, normally I get my information from the customer service emails. Going to a trade show is, I think, the most valuable thing anyone could ever do, especially going to Canton. If you just, I want to sell products, but I don't know which kind of products, the Canton Fair is amazing. Detach yourself from Amazon sooner than later because they aren't your friend. So on today's episode, we're going to listen firsthand of the story of a sex toy direct-to-consumer entrepreneur. It's a great episode you do not want to miss, so do stay tuned. Retail and e-commerce have witnessed an unprecedented transformation in the last decade. The widespread adoption of mobile technology, social media, as well as the lowered cost of cloud-based technology have not only eroded the barriers to entry in retail, but it's also led to the rapid rise and dominance of digital native product brands that sell directly to their customers. On this podcast, you'll get the scoop on customer acquisition and retention strategies employed by high-growth digital native product brands. Not being afraid to spend because you know that customer is going to pay it back uh, three or fourfold. That's when you start to unlock channels in the way that they were meant to be used. And- Listen to interviews with experts at the forefront of technology and, and innovation in digital retail. Three years ago, they wouldn't have come to us because, yeah, the macro trend of cloud, Wi-Fi, broadband availability—that was a real, that was a real problem. Hear firsthand stories from founders of innovative direct-to-consumer brands. Although I was thinking about the competition, I was more thinking about like, how do I just build a freaking successful business? We focus on driving as much traffic as possible, converting that traffic, uh, and then dumping money back into driving more traffic. These insights will help you consistently 2x growth in specific areas of your direct-to-consumer brand. This is the 2x e-commerce podcast, hosted by Kunle Campbell. So welcome, welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. I'm your host, Kunle Campbell. And yeah, this is the podcast dedicated to rapid growth in online retail. We talk about D2C stories, you know, from entrepreneurs whenever we can. And on today's episode, I speak or spoke with Brian Sloan, who is the founder of a of a sex toy called Autoblow. Um, he's had several rejections from several, you know, podcasters saying that, you know, his story is not appropriate for the audiences. But this is a direct-to-consumer story. Um, it has limitations. He, he can advertise on Facebook. We talk about how he's used press, PR, to really, really amplify above the line, you know, awareness of his brand and, you know, actually drive tangible sales, you know, what ad networks look like and how he just stays on his feet as an inventor. The importance of product launches, you know, throughout the success of his eight-figure brand. This is a 10 million, is a very healthy eight-figure, you know, brand. He They don't do social media. He is an attention hawk for his brand, for his brand, not himself. Um, he has very libertarian views in terms of freedom. And um, he talks about why you should never consider Amazon unless if you want to be, you know, a, a serf, you know, or a slave to a landlord, essentially. And, and you know, direct-to-consumer really is about freedom, 
freedom, freedom, really. And and so it's 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 a terrific episode. We we talk a, a lot, a lot about his story, when he stopped caring. Actually, he's never really cared about what people thought about how he started out in, in the in the niche, which I think is totally unexplored. Um, in in D two C, um, that there is a bit of a taboo. It's a bit of a taboo subject, um, especially for men. Um, and 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 I think we we all should know that it's it's a thing. It's a niche. You know, this is a, a very 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 lucrative you know vertical. And he's ex- he's explored it. Um, you know, the pandemic helped. You know, the the business, and it's been a grind for him. You know, over the last um, you know ten or so years, we talk about his acquisition stack. And what retention looks like, um, and what performance actually looks like, you know, around the clock. He only has um, about two employees, two employees, and they're they're pulling in, um, you know, um, eight 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 figures plus. Um, so enjoy this episode. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, you know, on YouTube. In fact, if you're listening to this on the on on a podcast app. Go open up your YouTube app now, search for 2X e-commerce and subscribe to the show. Support us. Um, so we're on YouTube. Um, if if you you have iTunes, remember to, to leave us a review. Any kind of review would, would, would be very, very helpful. Um, you know, I've I've taken on board, you know, um negative and positive reviews and you know, taking action essentially towards improving, you know, the show. Anyway, enjoy this episode with Brian. Brian gives it all. He shares so much. He's happy to to share his story. And um, yeah, and and enjoy this episode. Very, very down to to earth, um, you know, person. Enjoy it. Cheers. The 2X e-commerce podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo gives you the tools to get growing faster. That is why it's trusted by over 50,000 e-commerce brands like Brooklinen, Non, and Chubby's. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit clavio.com forward slash 2x to create your free account. That is K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com forward slash 2x. ShipBob is the global fulfillment leader for e-commerce brands like you. They've actually just launched their first UK fulfillment center, which is quite close to me here in London. This gives ShipBob's clients access to e-commerce markets in the US, Canada, and now Europe. ShipBob offers direct integration to merchants running on Shopify, Wix, BigCommerce, WooCommerce, Amazon, eBay, and Walmart. This quote from their site, from Courtney Lee, the founder of Primo Coffee, really stood out for me. She said, I felt like I couldn't grow until I moved to ShipBob. And my CPA accountant even said to me, thank God you switched to ShipBob. I mean, who gets compliments from their accountant? Fulfillment is incredibly time intensive, so hand it over to the best of the best for fast and affordable shipping. To get $500 in free shipping credits today, head over to shipbob.com forward slash 2x. That is S-H-I-P-B-O-B.com forward slash 2x. Okay, so we're live. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the 2x e-commerce podcast show. 
I'm your host, Kunle Campbell, and this is the podcast dedicated to rapid growth in online retail. Now, if you work in marketing or um, you're a founder, essentially every episode in, in of this podcast is geared to helping you sell more, you know, directly to your, con- your customers. So every week I interview an expert um, or a founder at a direct-to-consumer e-commerce business or a representative from a best-in-class e-commerce SaaS product to just give you... Um, you know, just inspiration, yeah. tips, tactics, their strategies that enable them, you know, grow to to where they are. So you can essentially just, you know, get inspiration. So if you're looking to grow metrics such as conversions, average order value, repeat customers, your audience size, and ultimately sales, this is the right podcast. Now, speaking of which, today's episode is a D2C business owner with a, a bit of a twist. And um, and I think one of the, what you're going to learn from this episode is if your your hands or your arms are tied behind your, 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 your body, essentially behind you, you still can move, you know, um, in, in what you do. That, that's, that's a lesson I want to take take you guys through because um in the industry in which Brian Sloan who is the guest of this podcast um you know operates in they're very limit the, the limitations you know they can't advertise on on Facebook for instance but they figured out a way to grow to eight figures you know over time consistently and how to garner press we're going to talk all about that and, and that is what I want us to sort of pick that, you know, we'll always find a way. And Brian is one of those entrepreneurs who's found a way in in, in all of the stuff he's, he's done. Anyway, I'm just going to read a bit of an intro, you know, to you guys, and then we'll take it from there. So Brian is a sex toy inventor and entrepreneur who over the past 12 years has bootstrapped his way to eight digits yearly sales with a global dispersed team. Working from home and from cafes, he's used a unique blend of technology and media savvy to push his auto blow device into the minds. I love that minds, not hands, or minds of millions of men and into the homes of hundreds of thousands. His company combines offline and online retail backed by deep manufacturing experience, all heavily influenced by 10 years he spent living in China. Um, did I also forget to mention that he has only two full-time employees and an army of part-time t- part-timers around the world? Um, Brian, it's an absolute pleasure having you on the Two X E-Commerce Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to tell my story to your listeners. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Um, I probably haven't done you sufficient justice with the intro. Would you mind taking the next minute or two, just giving us a, a quick intro you know, about you specifically, um, Brian Sloan? Yeah, I'll just give a, a kind of from beginning to end here in a minute, and then we'll dig into whatever you like. Let's do it. Uh, okay. Yeah. So after university, I uh, I went to law school here in the U.S. While I was in law school, I saw how hard lawyers worked for relatively little money, I think, uh, and how unscalable their work was. And luckily. Uh, yeah, a friend took me to an auction, uh, sold, bought something, sold it on eBay, and learned that there was another way of making money. And that turned me into a totally uh, another direction. I later uh, became a full-time eBay seller and moved to China, where I lived in China for 10 years. And, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I learned how to, uh, to do my business uh, in, in a remote way. Um, fast forward until now, we sell our, our uh, Autoblow device and a few other things. 
mostly online, but also to retailers globally. And finally, last year, we broke through the eight-figure barrier, and this year, very strongly into the eight figures uh, of uh, of sales of our physical uh, device. Congratulations with, with with the breakthrough. So essentially, you, you're a lawyer. You you, you grad. You're a law, you're you're a lawyer who you know was just attracted to to e-commerce just due to the limitations of being a lawyer. Essentially, it was not really your thing, and and you've moved from marketplaces. Because um, we, we talked about the fact that you've also tried Amazon for, for certain other products, white label products, into D2C, direct to consumer. Now, do you still do marketplaces at, at the moment or um, are you solely focused on your D2C um, you know, offering, which is Autoblow? Yeah, so we don't sell on, uh, on Amazon or mm-hmm. uh, in the US market or eBay. And we don't allow our resellers in the U.S. market to sell on those marketplaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have our re- re- resellers sell on marketplaces in in uh, Europe and on in Canada. Uh, but for us, we focus in the U.S. market on our direct to consumer website, and mm-hmm. we sell directly. We self distribute to a lot of uh, chains and stores, and we sell to distributors as well in, in Canada and Europe. But we mm-hmm. completely prohibit anyone else in the U.S. and we do not do it ourselves. We do not sell on Amazon or any okay. other places. Just just wanted to clarify. Let's let's get back yeah. to your backstory. Um, how did you stumble, you know, upon um, you know the the, the sex industry? Um, the you know, there's every single category or subcategory um, in D two C and in direct to consumer e-commerce space is being talked about, you know, whether it's um, CPG goods, you know, consumables to selling mattresses, everybody's talking, everybody's excited about it. But there, there is, what you've done in the sex industry is not really talk, you, you talk about it, you, you, you get the press, we're going to talk about the press coverage. But, um, you know, in the sex space, from your perspective, are there other D2C offerings? I'm not saying you should mention other you know, competitors, but what does the D2C landscape look like in, in, the, in the sex industry? Well, I think that, that's... Or vertical. Uh, it's, it's a good place to start because it's one of the things that attracted me to this niche in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, back when I started uh, in 2008 or even 2007, the job of the, of the brand was to sell at a low profit margin to distributors. And the distributors then sold at a high profit margin, I think, to the retailers. And the retailers sold at, at a, a, a two, three, four, five, six X margin to, you know, uh, a 600%, you know, kind of margin to the consumer. So the brand was at the bottom of the chain. Um, at the time, there was only one brand um, that, that, uh, that didn't do that. That was Fleshlight. That's our sort of main competitor. Uh, Fleshlight was early to understand the importance of going direct to consumer. Uh, but even still, I'll say this is 13, I've been doing this 13 years. I think other than us and Fleshlight, uh, I think although by now most brands do have a, a direct to consumer presence, I'll bet that still most of their revenue comes from this sort of lower margin profit sales to distributors uh, and retailers. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Very, very interesting. So so it's a, uh, it's, it's it's a blue ocean essentially, um, you know, and and there's not much competition. Well, there's not much D to C competition in the space. There's increasingly more. There's certainly now more than there was, but I think for 
uh, you know, if you look at how much money uh, people are spending in this industry and what the competition landscape looks like, I think there's still kind of a mismatch. Uh, mm. And that's due, I think, obviously, to the nature of the products. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. So you describe yourself as a sex toy inventor. Um, so what, what does the product development look like? You know, how do you do your market research? How do you get feedback, you know, on, on the products? Yeah. How many iterations? This is the second iteration of auto blow. What, what does it look like um, as an inventor? No, this is, I think, I think we're in our maybe sixth iteration, at least mm. uh, a public one. So the, the ideas are just are generated from me. I understand the competitive landscape. So uh, I have ideas and uh, I, I've learned over the years how to turn those ideas into physical products. So at the beginning for Autoblow 2, you know, at the beginning we were selling a, a white label product back in 2008. And after we sold, you know, we sold 30,000 of them. And I thought if I could make it much better, if I could fix the things that are wrong with it, uh, we could, you know, really make a strong business out of this. So uh, the, the first uh, part of that process was hard. I lost two years. Uh, I tried to make this product in Taiwan in a factory that didn't make sex toys before. And ultimately I lost almost two years of time with a, a development that just didn't pan out that I sunk a bunch of money into. I later uh, met just by chance at an adult industry um, at the sex toy trade show in Las Vegas. These couple of guys, we started talking, said, oh, I live in China. They said, oh yeah, we live in China. We have a factory there. We sort of became friendly. And those ultimately are the guys who I uh, worked with. And at the beginning, that factory itself had the, an R&D department that was capable of helping me turn my idea into reality. But mm -hmm. as the product has become more sophisticated, um, that factory uh, still adds a lot of value in taking our concepts and reducing costs and you know, doing everything it takes to make them manufacturable. But mm -hmm. I... Uh, have gone to outside firms. Basically, I like the profile of a company that's like a th th two to five person company. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a lot of these small companies out there with a couple PhD guys. Uh, most of those kind of small companies will have at least one or two guys who have a PhD in some kind of engineering. Mm -hmm. And um, one company for Autoblow. Uh, so for Autoblow AI, that company was in uh, Canada. And, you know, I don't know, over a year or so, I, I just gave them sort of Here's my idea of how that product will work. Here's how I see that going. And then, then they set about, you know, prototyping it. So really, uh, it's sort of my, you know, like if you think of, I gave them like a big lump of clay, like there's my ideas. It needs to do all of these things and it should work kind of like mm. this. Then those guys can refine it. And then the factory's step is uh, sort of the final uh, step of refining that. And you'll find that if there's money, right, the, the, you know, factories and, and, and firms can, there's enough money to, to refine ideas, then people are happy to do that. Uh, people have been happy to do that for me. Super interesting, super interesting. So it's like a, a two-step, um, you know, process um, with, with your partners who help you re reiterate. And, and then um, for, from, this is a funny question, but um, how, how do you, you know, know what to, to improve? Is, is it, do, is it a combination of you testing or, um, customer feedback. Um, do you have like a customer feedback, you know, um, process, automatic process where, um, you know, customers are able to give you 
effortlessly give you feedback and then that's just put into you know process and then you you, you kind of figure out you know um, what's common um, what's a common issue yeah in our field uh, the customers are not shy about complaining about things that they don't like so <laughs> Uh, just reading the customer service emails. Uh, normally, I get my information from the customer service emails, mm. and I know, you know, when when anything when we get emails about a certain thing, it's very clear that this thing needs to be fixed in the next iteration. You know, people mm-hmm. say, "Oh, it's too tight, it's too loose, uh, it's too fast, it's too slow." Mm-hmm. You often get we often get conflicting feedback. You know, like the number one complaint might be like, "This is too fast," and then. The number two complaint is this is too slow. slow. So sometimes the, the, the feedback is not that easy to follow, but mainly I listen to the feedback from the customers, uh, from the customer service emails and from our customer service department. And uh, basically, yeah, I test the prototypes myself and I, I pretty much, I, tr- I trust my judgment uh, almost completely on that. Uh, but we, we do have, so when we launched Autoblow 2 and now when we're, we launched Autoblow AI and we have a new version coming out uh, maybe at the end of this year, there are some customers who are uh, some some customers like to communicate with us more than others. Mm-hmm. Okay, I call these like super mm-hmm. customers. Uh, yeah. When they send emails about something, they don't just send like I didn't like this thing. They send an email like I didn't like this and this, but I did like this, like a thoughtful email. And those people who send us thoughtful emails become our testers. So mm-hmm. in this case, uh, we have when we make a new product, we uh, make thirty samples. And then we send those samples. I recruit those testers from the people who sent us reasonably detailed, thoughtful emails about things they liked or didn't like. And even if they didn't like something, sending an angry email in all caps, like, I hate this thing, you know, this is not worth communicating. But if someone sends us, you know, like really a couple of, you know, strong paragraphs on why they didn't like something, I like this kind of customer. And then we recruit them to be testers uh, for, for the next version. Super, super interesting. They they get the products and then they give you feedback, and that there is a structure, you know, to, to to all of this. Okay, okay. So, um, you so you you essentially stumbled into the sex industry by just selling, you know, white label products. Essentially, you you were you know selling on marketplaces, and then you you figured out, okay, um, there might be a demand here, and you started D 2 C. Well, yeah, we we started with latex fetishware first on eBay. Okay, we were importing okay. latex fetishware, and then we learned about Demand, special demand from big and tall people, mm-hmm. people with particular fetishes. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the fetish where selling fetish were in a marketplace that was just eBay at the time opened my eyes mm-hmm. to the entire industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, we started doing the original auto blow. The first product actually was the original auto blow. That was a white label product. After that, we did expand, not with auto blow, but with other products onto, onto the marketplaces. But the marketplaces became... Uh, Let's not call them the marketplaces. There's only one marketplace. It's called Amazon. It became an increasingly um, terrible place to do business uh, with control. Uh, random, random rule changes. People attacking your listings. Uh, you know, a customer would complain, "Oh, there's a hair on this item," and, and we would write back to Amazon, "There's okay, there's not a hair because it's sealed at the factory. It's not a hair on the item." And then imagine uh, it became like a I was living in a dystopian future. When if you would deny a complaint to Amazon, they would keep your listing off. And then you find yep. out pretty quickly, wait a minute, the only way to get our listing back on is to uh, admit fault and apologize yep. and write them yep. a plan. Like this, yep. pr- th- once, once we saw, oh my God, this is the system we're working in, there's mm-hmm. no way I'm going to continue and, my life working in that system. Yeah, and the sad thing is like, um, you know, someone who... 
um, you know, got a refund off the back of that um, lying, essentially, could share in a subreddit or some forum with, you know, other dishonest people, essentially. And then they yeah. it becomes, you know, um, some sort of game, essentially. And, yeah. and that winds, winds uh, um, a lot of businesses out of Amazon. Yeah. And, and actually, what you learn, I think, what I learned, uh, selling on Amazon, the reason that we stopped, you, you cannot, I live, look, I lived in China for 10 years. The Chinese factories have a very uh, uh, high-tech way. It involves people. It's, it's both low-tech and high-tech at cheating at, at, at getting reviews. You know, I mean, it, going to lengths that no American companies would go through, setting up Facebook groups, like managing with people, like thousands and thousands of fake reviews. Uh, it needs a room of people managing the, the level of fake mm-hmm. reviews. So. Uh, you, you learn that that's who you're up against to get your listings at the top of the, you know, we used to have a dildo or two at the top of the dildos category. That was good for us. But then, uh, anyway, long story short, I cannot cheat at the level of Chinese factories. And yep. if it's a game where I know I'm going to lose, then I'm out. I'll do something else. I'll, and, and you yep. can see on Amazon now, the, the entire platform has been taken over with these outrageous, yep. you know, you could look at a review of a keychain and, and it has... 80,000 reviews with videos, like showing it. Like, do you think those people yeah. really made videos? No, it's because they were each given like $15 to make the video. So yeah. anyway, I'm out, <laughs> not, not yeah. for us. Yeah, it makes sense. There are better ways to, to, to build a brand. Um, let's, speaking yeah. of China, what was your experience? You spent 10 years there. Did you travel around China um, or did you spend, what was your experience in China over 10 years? Yeah, it was an incredible place uh, to live at that time. I think it's changing a lot. I, I know a lot of people mm-hmm. who also left but uh, yeah, I traveled. I traveled really all over the world while I lived there. But I traveled a lot around China. Um, it was like living in a business school. You know, I I didn't go to business school. I went to law school. But I, I I think that living there and having the conversations with people I had over those years, basically was like living ten years in a in a business school. I saw many many different kinds of companies start and fail. Uh, things were happening in China at a huge scale. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, someone might start here. Oh, I'm starting up in Seattle. I live near Seattle. I'm starting a cafe chain. We're going to have, our goal is to have five cafes in like three years. Like, you can meet people there who are like, our goal is to have like 13,000 cafes in five years. Mm. So mm. it's just a different level of, uh, a different level of scale there. And uh, really meeting people, I think, who are from all over the world was a, a key benefit. You know, when you meet people yeah. in America or maybe in the UK, those are people from whatever country and they moved there and now they're like mm-hmm. American people or they're UK people. But in China, yeah. it's like actually like you meet like Danish people who are actually Danish people, not Danish people who decided to move to America. Like it's very different. So uh, uh, I learned a lot from a lot of people there. And that environment was really, really ripe for, I think, growing my business remotely. Yeah. So, so what, what city did you, did you, what cities did you live in? And um, what is the mindset? You, you, talk, you talk about the fact that, um, you know, it was like business school. Um, uh, is, is every expatriate, Western to be particular, um, very business minded or, you know, a few people a bit hippie or is it just a combination of, of both um, where they're just um, very curious about your culture? Uh, I think that the communities of those different groups sort of separate themselves naturally. So I lived in Beijing always. Okay. And the kind of foreigner, there's different kinds of foreigners. There's foreigners who the the Shanghai foreigners are different. They wanted a very easy life. Mm. Uh, They moved to Shanghai. The people who self-selected to move to Beijing, uh, 
um, were different because it was less easy to live in Beijing. Uh, mm. I'd say it was more real than living in Shanghai. Uh, and there were a lot of business people. There were embassy people and business people sort of in this community. Right. There were English teachers uh, in a different community. Really, the communities didn't mix. There wasn't much of a hippie sort of bunch, at least in in Beijing. Mm, Maybe you could find those Thailand. people in some more... Yeah, in Thailand, but yeah, yeah. you wouldn't move to China to be a hippie. It's like noisy and there's pollution and it's uh, it's intense. Yeah. Uh, but definitely there were events, you know, there'd be events at embassies, there'd be um, talks, you know, there are a lot of ideas. Uh, mm. There's things changing in the society. So there'd be, go to a talk at an embassy about some, you know, healthcare system of China, you'd really learn something. Uh, mm. And uh, even at night, we had a bar one in the morning talking about your business with people, uh, learning, learning from each other. So I think it was unique um, in that people were really willing to share. Uh, mm. But also, I think they're willing to do so because, you know, oh, you're a foreigner in China. I'm a foreigner in China. And of course, there's also the Chinese community in China. It is China. Yeah. So there were a lot of Chinese people in the mixed in the foreigner community mm. who spoke English or who had uh, lived or studied abroad, um, who sort of more naturally um, came to the foreigner world in, in did you the, learn mandarin part of it yeah i learned like medium level uh chinese okay. i could um you know argue with my management about something about the community like it really tends to be in the things i needed for my life uh mm. i couldn't like even then when my chinese was at its best i couldn't do dinner with like five chinese people at once that was too much mm. but you know mm. one-on-one could have like an okay chat is is it a, is it a handicap um, to 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 not learn you know to to not speak in in China in twenty twenty one? I think it depends what you want to do. A lot of my friends mm-hmm. there spoke uh, like a native speaker and could read Chinese, you know, almost like a native speaker. Hmm. Uh, but a lot of their businesses required that of them, mm-hmm. and they had a mm-hmm. professional advantage from that. Me, mm-hmm. I, I was working with you know a guy in Romania and people all over the world from the cafe there, I didn't, uh, I didn't need it, but it was nice just okay. in my daily life that I needed to get around Interesting. society. So would, would you suggest listeners, you know, so, so some listeners are entrepreneurs, so they have time that they, they don't have attachments, basically like family attachments and um, they're looking to travel the world. Would you still recommend China um, to them in 2021? Yeah. Um, yeah. To- look, the best thing still, look, everything's going to be made in China forever. So the thing I always tell people, especially when they're interested in uh, uh, making physical products, I mean, just seeing where the world is truly growing, I think it's valuable to spend some time in China to understand the mentality of whatever, Chinese government, Chinese people. But uh, for anyone who wants to make a physical product, the first step I always tell them, is to find the the, uh, the trade fair in China that's related to your products, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe even the Canton Fair, which is the largest trade fair. It has different you know phases with every kind of product. But let's say, oh, I think there's a market in wherever you live in uh, Brazil. You think, oh, there's not that many whatever like microscope importers. Maybe I want to like make my own brand of microscope. Fantastic. You find when's the science trade fair with all the microscope booths? You go there and you see what's available, and you talk to the factories. You know, you talk to 30 different factories right there. You find two of them then from there that you want to go visit at their, at their, uh, at their actual factory. So the, the trade, going to a trade show is, I think, the most valuable thing anyone could ever do, especially going to Canton. If you just, I want to sell products, but I don't know which kind of products. The Canton Fair is amazing. It's enormous buildings, bigger than any buildings you've ever seen 
or imagine that a building could stand up that's this huge, multiple floors of just thousands and thousands of booths with you know uh, different products. Products, so, yeah, yeah. And then you mentioned um, your 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 partner in Romania, um, who you met. So while you're in while, yeah. while you were in Beijing, did you did you hook up with him? Did he come over to China? And are you still working together? Yeah. So uh, you know. Uh, at first, look, I had hired, the first thing I did in China was I hired a Chinese firm to make this uh, e-commerce website to sell the latex direct to consumer. And okay. they made it in this language. It was, I remember it was, I'm not a, an engineer, but it was an ASPX. That was like- Oh, the, ASPN, yeah, ASPX on that, okay. Microsoft. And so then when I had to get it, it was broken. I had to get it fixed. And everyone I went to was like, first of all, no one even uses that anymore. <laughs> Why did they do that? And I'm like, I don't know. But it turns out this language was still very popular in China then. So I, I went on a, a friend there, told me about a freelancing website. Then it was called Get a Freelancer. And I found this guy, uh, Alex, in, uh, in Romania. And he, you know, him and his uh, friends, I later, at first he told me that he was uh, 24. And then as we got to know each other more, I found out that he was still in high school. He was 17. And him and his friends were learning uh, how to code by getting projects that, you know, maybe they didn't know how to do and then learning how to do them and giving Fair people out. a price that, yeah. So, uh, yeah, after I realized how good he was, I decided to go to Romania for a trip to meet him. Uh, and I went there in, I think 2008 and it was great. Uh, I went to this town he lived in, uh, he, he based, I don't think he based, he didn't, go attend, I think, much of his senior year of high school. He had all kinds of excuses, medical excuses, and he would be at home getting jobs on, on a freelancing website all day. And uh, so we started to, you know, actually meet each other then. And from that time where, we, where they were working on this first website for me, we've met every, say, three or four months for two or three weeks since then. Either I would go to, to Romania to meet him or he would come to China to stay with me, uh, to work with me. So uh, yeah, it's needed. Even though we're remote, we do solidify that with several weeks long in person every year. Well, yeah. well, interesting. So he's 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 your CTO essentially, your 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 tech. Yeah, yeah. I think you'd call him the the CTO. So basically, the the company has sort of the unique thing is that he's also really good on the marketing side and understanding which technical impl implementations can help us on the marketing side. So, uh, yeah, he controls the you know. The e-commerce websites developed by him are, we have systems that control wholesale and when to reorder and, um, you know, import stuff from the logistics company, like all of our systems he's created. And also he taught himself how to be an electrical engineer. And hmm. he uh, works uh, side by side with the company I hired to program this uh, chip that the new product has. So he learned how to write firmware for like embedded devices as well. It's incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. So is he an employee or um, a partner? Uh, I guess he's an employee, um, but he makes money like a partner. I mean, it's okay. just fair. He makes okay. more than. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. Right. Um, I learned a ton, you know, about China. Um, so right now, um, how did you start not really caring? I was going to say give an F, but um, I'll just, um, yeah, I'll taper it down. How did you stop caring? You know, obviously you're, you're, um, you started to do a lot of press. I want to get into the press, um, you know, coverage thing, but to, to get to the press, to go to crowdfunding, you raised quarter of a million pounds or I think over 400, about almost $400,000 on Indiegogo. 
all this requires you being upfront with the yeah. you know outside of the sex industry you could easily you know hide you know in the sex industry uh, um just recently the the founder of Pornhub um was got got a first picture on um I think it was on the Sunday Times and due to his wife complaining essentially it was just keeping it really 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 down low um despite the you know um how popular his, his platform is but how did you take that step and say hello world this is what we do and i'm ready was there a mindset shift did you always you know operate in the open um yeah. or were, were you um did you just make a, a shift uh i never I mean, when I started doing the latex stuff, uh, mm -hmm. the easiest way for me to get views on that was to put on the rubber suit. I'm not a latex fetishist uh, myself. So uh, what I did is I put on the suits and went you know, to downtown Chicago or to shopping malls. And I walked around and I had someone follow me with a video camera. You know, oh. And I put those on YouTube. That was, I did that in my um, early days. So uh, yeah, I didn't feel any, I just, I just don't feel any... Uh, shame or embarrassment about doing that. And so when it came time to, you know, make, do the crowdfunding campaign for Autoblow 2, I realized that all of the brands, okay, are often, yeah, I think at, let's say everybody now, except one, there's one or two. Now there's some uh, women's brands that are represented by the female entrepreneur. Uh, but that's, a, that's a recent thing. Um, at the time that I did my uh, uh, crowdfunding campaign, all sex toy companies, if there were humans associated with them were either some fake, like, like porn people, you know, uh, or some kind of spokesperson or, a you know, marketing person. I mean, there, none of the brands were personal. And, uh, I saw, I thought, look, the easiest thing I can do to sell this Autoblow 2 on Indiegogo is just to make the video. Like imagine all the steps that would go into it. If I had to find someone else to try to be me, <laughs> that's just a lot of effort. It doesn't make any sense. So I just did it myself. And actually that was part of why that campaign went viral. I think number one, the video was kind of cringy, especially in hindsight, but what the media picked up on about that was, Whoa, this is the actual guy. He's willing to put his face on that. That's a new thing in sex toys that there's no shame associated with that. And number four, it's cringy. And number five, people are actually buying this thing. So there were five, five ingredients uh, and then I sort of, I doubled down on that and I continued to use myself because, uh, I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of in buying that kind of thing. You know, there's a movement now you can see it in mainstream media that when women buy sex toys, they're somehow empowering themselves. This is, you know, why not the same for men? Pretty, yeah. Pretty hard in, in mainstream media that, that, uh, masturbation is empowerment for women, which I don't know if that's true or not. But certainly, uh, then it must be the same for men, right? Uh, although I've never <clears throat> phrased it that way, but I wouldn't say that there's nothing empowering about doing that. But there is, it is a natural and normal thing, and it, sh and it it's a, should be an acceptable thing. So uh, <clears throat> I just haven't been embarrassed to put myself out there. And, and now, yeah, it's true that, you know, now my life has changed. <clears throat> I have kids. Uh, have neighbors, have a house and stuff. So before I did that, I lived in China, I lived abroad, lived other places. But yeah, now I'll see what that's like to, you know, be the face of a masturbation device company with kids and neighbors and PTA and everything. And uh, I'm sure I'll find out that there are some people who might not like that, but 
I literally could not care less. Let's take this quick break to hear from our sponsors. Let's take a quick break to talk about screwing up. Accidents happen. Perhaps you installed an app that messed up your theme or a CSV import completely messed up your product catalog. Common myth, cloud-based e-commerce platforms like Shopify and BigCommerce have automatic backup solutions you can use when something goes wrong with your store. This is simply untrue. They don't. Myth busted. So what do you do? You use Rewind. Rewind will protect Shopify and BigCommerce stores with automatic backups. Rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error, misbehaving apps, or collaborators gone bad. It's like having your very own magic undo button. Rewind is trusted by over 25,000 businesses from side hustles to the biggest retail brands you can think of. Gymshark, Movement Watches, and Pampers all use Rewind for automatic backups. So here's the deal for 2Xs. If you head over to rewind.io, which is R-E-W-I-N-D.io, install Rewind, you'll get to use it for free for seven days. If you reach out to the Rewind team and mention the 2X e-commerce podcast, that extend your seven-day trial for a full month for free. Enjoy peace of mind with Rewind backups. Remember to head over to rewind.io and don't forget to mention the 2X e-commerce podcast for a full month trial. You're solving problems and you're not hurting anyone. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> that's it. Okay, so in regards to media, um, you seem to have mastered the craft of garnering attention. Um, you have, you know, from quite a niche kind of product, you know, um, for for obviously the, the sex industry, you've managed to get press um, a, a lot more from Business Insider, Huffington Post, Men's Health, Gizmodo, and, you know, a ton of other, um, you know, um, media outlets. Um, what What is what is your strategy? Are you, you know, front center in this um, campaign? Do you have a, a press team? You, you mentioned you have only two full-time staff employees. Yeah. So what, what does it, you know, do you hire an agency? What, how do you get this, this press? You know, how, how do you do so, it? So uh, basically uh, I only come up with product ideas that I know the media will be interested in writing about. So I wouldn't launch a boring product that doesn't have something interesting about it. I would never launch a marketing campaign that doesn't have some kind of uh, significant, globally interesting feature to it. So, um, you know, and, and by example, what I mean is uh, uh, we had a number of genital-themed beauty contests. Uh, turned out we had a vaginal beauty contest that went viral all over the world and ended up with Elite Daily, which is now defunct, uh, making a, a short documentary uh, about that uh, uh, because of the pu- level of public interest. Uh, and so, so once who, I get some, who are the who are the contestants for for the um, the pageant? The, the, the pageant. Uh, yeah. Basically, we put up a web a website with ten thousand dollars of prize money, and the women uploaded photos of themselves, and uh, people from all over the world voted from one to 10 stars on each photo and the winners would get replicated onto the sleeves of our uh, products for Autoblow. All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, Makes sense. And so again, it was one of those things like if no one comes to it, then it's a nothing. It's a nothing thing. But suddenly when 
oh my God, there's this thing, it's outrageous and it's popular and people are actually submitting photos and, and millions of people are visiting it, then it's news, you know? Yeah. And it's news because maybe it's news because it's terrible. Some website said, this is the most terrible thing and it's in the news. Fine, you think it's terrible, that's fine. You think it's great, you think it's weird. Doesn't matter, as long as it makes people feel something when they read about that, then, then I've done what I'm supposed to do. Um, and it, it got deeper, you know, then I, I, I hired a, a statistician to... Um, evaluate the, the photos. And he came up with a, a kind of a metrics for uh, figuring out, well, why did people vote some photos higher than others? You know, uh, did people behave, did the voters behave differently um, from certain countries? You know, like there was a Japan, I remember it was the country that didn't vote. There was a, they didn't discriminate against their own country's photos. They voted sort of fairly across all photos, but there were countries, I think Hungary, the voters from Hungary voted mainly tens for the photos from their own country. So you could you learned a lot of interesting things in the data that became another news story. And uh, yeah, the ingredient has always been, uh, the main ingredient is create, for me to create something that's interesting, that people have fun with, that makes them feel something. And, uh, and that is sort of is global in its, in its reach. You know, we, I did a recent one, uh, it was, uh, I made a device that connects the auto blow to a Tesla and I called it the automo blow. It's just a mount for the, for the auto blow. So I made a, uh, like an infomercial for that. I filmed, I hired, so I, I wrote this commercial. I had it filmed. It's me basically on self-driving with the auto blow, like working while I'm driving. Uh, and it's feels like an old style infomercial. So, so of you're, course, you're riding on the wave you know, of Tesla. On, you yeah. Know. Uh, I know people love to search Tesla. They love mm -hmm. any Tesla news. So, of course, it's not a surprise that, you know, when, when we contacted uh, Jalopnik, you know, I don't know if you're familiar, it's like one of the main car news websites, uh, at least in the U.S. Jalopnik wrote about it. Uh, auto websites wrote about it. Tesla people wrote about it. Uh, and it was on, uh, you know, there's places like 9gag or, uh, yeah. that, or uh, Did, similar websites that pick up on this. So. Yeah, there the, the was early last year, I think, there was, um, there was this big thing about the first um, porn video shot on, in a Tesla. Did that inspire you or did your one come first? And did you inspire them? I, I, never, I never heard about heard that. About I think it. that's okay, too so easy. I think a porn video shot in a Tesla, you mean, well, it was self-driving or something? Be, I mean, I, that I, would I, be I, kind Tesla of Tesla is in my interest and then that popped up, yeah. Uh, but no, I, I, I mean... Also, it's just, it's outrageous, and it's it's possible to build the, the thing. And you know, we had a number of these campaigns. One time, we made a a, a stroker, but we made it to this military standard. We made it a, a stroker. You know, a silicone stroker is not particularly newsworthy, but when we made it to meet some specifications so that it would be good for men in the military to use, then it's interesting, right? Interesting. Uh, yeah. But so, do you make uh, one of that product? Or do you make a, you know, a, is it like a limited edition and then you sell 100 pieces and that's it? Or what is the, how does it link to commerce? How do these yeah, stories Normally those products are all part of, are all sold. The automobile product still isn't sold yet. We wanted to actually release it as a 3D print file, but it's not okay. clear whether you have product liability for 3D files that you release even for free to people. So it's kind of on hold. Uh, but everything else is always a product. Uh, you know, Autoblow AI, this is our best-selling current product. And, uh, you know, launching a new Autoblow, not news, but 
being the first company to do a machine learning study of oral sex performed upon men and then releasing the science on a website. We have a website called Blowjob. Uh, it's called the BJ paper or blowjobpaper.com. That's actually the science, the machine learning science of what we did to understand the actions that occur during oral sex performed upon a man. And those are the movements that we programmed into the machine. That's interesting for people. That's news, actually. So uh, I make sure to, to uh, and, and, and to, to so I, I come up with the ideas. I do the press releases, but I do have someone, uh, a PR specialist. He does outreach to the journalists and has some relationships with some journalists who will open his emails. Uh, okay, basically. makes sense. So, makes sense. So it's distribution and then your ideation, really, and yeah. and then that also links to product development. So you're thinking, how's the market going to react? Is it going to derive? Are we going to get emotions from the market, good or bad? Yeah. And then how can we develop a product? Does that chime in well with the actual product we're developing, we're, we're launching? And then once once it happens, you send it to him to to um to distribute. Super super interesting. Okay. Um. Now, your, your, would you say that PR is your number one acquisition channel? Is that how um, most people know about Autoblow and then purchase from Autoblow? Or, um, or am I barking off the wrong tree? It's, so so it's, it's hard to attribute. We can only attribute some purchases from, from PR uh, because some places will refuse to link. Okay, uh, Imagine yeah. you get a huge article and no backlink. And you're right. like, but then what, what, what do you see? You see Google search increasing Jumbo. for your brand yeah, name, yeah, yeah, right? Brand name search. So there's definitely, there's a relationship. So what we try to do over time is build brand search. So that happens from the PR. Certainly that's an ingredient. The news articles are an ingredient for that. But so is our, we advertise on porn networks. And mm-hmm. that also isn't particularly profitable to do um, as did the direct sales, but it is profitable. Once you, once we've done that for years and years and years, then, uh, then people start, you know, you might not be in the market for an audible today, but you may have seen when you're, or maybe you don't, maybe when you're using Pornhub, maybe you've seen our ad, uh, we don't do it in the UK actually, but if you've seen that, you know, 30 times over the past couple of years, and you're like, Oh, that's that thing again. When you're finally in the market for the product, then, mm-hmm. Top of mind. And you think about Autoblow. So it, it, that process builds. And then we do Google AdWords and we do, uh, we also, we have our products also in physical stores. I think some people see the product in stores. That's kind of, I, I view that every product that's in a store, that's an impression, whether the person yeah, buys it or absolutely. not in a store. Yeah. So I think it helps having the product with good distribution in stores. And uh, yeah. and also there's some SEO. If you just search for like, you know, our products called Blowjob Machine is a, if you search for that, you'll find our product. So it's, it's a mix of things. Um, and many of the sales are, we also do some YouTube. I don't, I don't, I don't like to call that influencer marketing. Cause I definitely don't, um, I don't advertise with like influencers. I wouldn't call those okay. people influencers, but I'd call them kind of maybe they're comedians. Okay. Only, I only advertise with some YouTubers that I identify with that. I like their stuff. And, okay. um, it's not like, you know, some guy on a yacht, with hot girls like saying to buy the auto blow, but there are yeah. some comedians and people I identify with that I've paid to do uh, you know paid placements or videos about auto blow. So, right, 
So it, it all comes together eventually, and and, and that's yeah. um, that, that's that's leading to the consistent, you know, eight-figure, um, you know, revenue. Um, what what's the split D two C versus distribution now? Our main business is still a direct consumer business. Maybe it's mm-hmm. uh, a third or less to uh, offline retailers, right. um, but it's a. I like selling it to offline retailers because it's in many cases frictionless, especially to distributors. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a distributor in, in Europe or Australia who buys from China direct, that's a relatively frictionless thing. And because we've created the market, the interesting thing is that because what happens is the news stories are often written in English. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then websites in Europe often go for their outrageous news to the U.S. websites, and then they translate those stories and put them onto their websites. Uh, so, for example, in the U.K., there's the uh, there's a couple tabloid uh, websites. It's uh, Daily Star and yeah. the uh, Express. The other one, uh, yeah, Sun, and Express Mirror. and the Sun. Yeah, the Sun especially. So, once the Sun does one, you'll see that in Greece the next day. You'll see that in uh, in Hungary. You'll see that in Holland. Uh, translated onto their you know, whatever kind of like funny news or, or tabloid news website. So, um, so there's a lot of scale uh, in in getting U.S. coverage and making that yes. win because that just rips out dividends in in other. Uh, I was into publishing and I used to see that you know some of our biggest articles would then be transcribed maybe a month after, um, even yeah. for some some um, brands I you know I work with. Super, super interesting, and and yeah. it's it's all coming together. So in terms of sales, how in terms of like fulfillment, how do you, um, what do you do about fulfillment? You know, somebody in Dubai, for instance, who wants to, who wants to buy, you know, Autoblue, do you have like a, you know, do you, where your fulfillment ends? Do you all ship from 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 the US, China, Europe? What does it look like? Uh, we we only fill uh, orders for distributors over a certain dollar amount from China uh, because okay. it costs like 500, 600 bucks for the export you know, related uh, procedures in China. Mm-hmm. So the European distributors, uh, of which we have five or six distributors, order from China. The Australian okay. distributor orders from China. Everyone else gets shipped from our warehouse in the U.S. So that's a third-party uh, warehouse. Our website's connected to them, so they ship daily our uh, direct-to-customer orders, and then they ship our wholesale orders to the chains um, and stores in the U.S. Okay. and Canada okay. and Makes wherever sense. if someone orders. So, I don't know Makes why, but people do still order Autoblow from Europe, shipped from the US, even though it's available everywhere in Europe. But uh, you want to get it direct so, from the source. <laughs> yeah, they do. Okay. Um, and another question you, you talked about was like programmatic media buying. Um, in So in, in the porn space, what, what does that look like? Is it similar to what native look like, looks like with, with Outbrain, you know, and um, what's the other one? Yeah, with, with Outbrain, um, what, what does it look like? Is, are they like, um, you know, um, are they ads, you know, proper like, um, you know, text ads or image ads or what what is the last yeah, so, like? Uh, there's a few big uh, porn networks. Uh, one mm-hmm. is for the network that Pornhub is in. I think that company is called Manwin, or uh, I don't know if it's still called Manwin or now it's called. Uh, I can't think of the name. But they own one company owns of the top you know hundred websites in the world. There's probably six of them that are their sites. It's Pornhub. It's mm-hmm. XTube. It's RedTube. Uh, it's UPorn. 
so anyway, there's one network that's for all of those. And yeah, you buy in that uh, uh, different spots. You know, it, it's expensive. You need to test. We've tested all kinds of spots, uh, tested all kinds of frequencies, tested, you can test frequency, you can buy different spots, you can do video ads, you can do, uh, there are, you know, you're, they're always contacting you with a special deal, which the deals are always terrible. Like, we want to offer you this, like, spot, like, 12, and it's only this much. And you're like, look at where spot 12. It's a footer. Like, okay. <laughs> like, oh, they're dear. always contacting you with the absolute worst spots to buy with, like, special deals. Like, hey, you guys are such good customers. We're going to give you the shittiest spots. <laughs> and then they're trying to charge too much, too. And we tell them no every time, and they still. Bless them. Uh, anyway. So there's a number of those other networks uh, and those networks are, I think you can't have that. You, you can only play on those networks if you have a, a relatively high cost uh, product because the CPAs are very high for that kind of traffic. So you can't sell, a, you know, any, if you're selling a $50 thing, you cannot use that method of traffic because there's no way that you could have a, a profitable CPA for that. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, so what kind of CPAs are you looking at um, in for, uh, well, on on these platforms? I don't know that I would say exactly what we've managed our, to get our CPA <laughs> to, but certainly, uh, certainly, it's not reasonable to think of it as fifty. I mean, you're competing against okay. yeah. uh, you're yeah. competing against cam websites, you're competing against uh, subscription porn websites, mm. and many of the uh, let's just say that there are the affiliates. There are some master affiliates of some of those cam websites they might be getting a hundred or 150 dollars you know when someone bills one dollar to their credit card for the cam website Mm. and now i mentioned earlier that uh marijuana advertising which was always prohibited i think is open now so the landscape is becoming uh more rowdy yeah it's becoming more competitive uh so yeah one needs to make their money not necessarily from directly on there, but from brand exposure and you need to have uh, a margin built in uh, uh, to do that. So for low cost products, it's, if it's not a, a recurring product or a, or a high cost product, I think this method would be closed to people. Okay. Okay. Seems, seems like um, what you're doing above the line, you know, seems to be really, seems to be the, the, the backbone of, of every other thing uh, because uh, that's an impression. And then with the distribution, that's like a 3D impression in itself um, yeah. in stores. Um, so what about retention? Are there any refill options? Um, do customers who buy, you know, Autoblow um, need to, you know, buy any replacements? Like, you know, when you buy blades for a shaving stick yeah. um, or do, do they just wait for the, for the next version? Like, you know, how people want to upgrade a car or their phones? Yeah, there is a uh, there is a sleeve. Uh, the Audible products use these uh, removable sleeves, which is one of the innovations of the product. Because the early versions of this kind of product, you couldn't remove the sleeve; it was very difficult to clean. Sleeves would become disgusting, so our sleeves uh, come out. But also, just naturally, even though we really try hard to make them last as long as possible, we don't engineer that in any way. But eventually, you do need to replace the sleeve, depending on your usage. Uh, case uh, situation. <laughs> so uh, you do need to buy sleeves and we we do have uh, other related uh, kinds of devices. Uh, we, we learned, I think, the hard way, um, at least for us, the sweet spot of how many products we should have. So we have a prostate massager category, but we only have four products. 
So uh, I think websites we found, at least in, in our niche, if you have 30 products in a category, it's weird. It's, it's you either need to have like 300 or like three, you know? So mm-hmm. we sort of built out a website um, uh, that has only a, a few products in each category and interesting ones. So we have a few prostate massagers. We have some uh, handheld masturbators that are not powered if, if people uh, can't, you know, accept any noise. And we have lubricants and cleaners and some accessories as well. Okay. Okay. So, so but, like uh, just not that um, many. These are upsells. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Upsells and uh, for people who like the brand, we do offer yeah a few other choices mm-hmm. for them. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. And then um, finally, I think we, we need to wrap up now just to be, you know, respectful of your time. It, it's really around like your employees, you know, you're running, you know, a, an eight figure business. Um, not very few e- e-commerce business are able to achieve this. How, how, how do you operate so lean? What does your, what does your, your what, what does your team look like? Um, both internal yeah. and um, freelancers. So I think, I think uh, uh, we're lucky in that um, uh, Alex, my, my partner I mentioned, he's kind of like a, a one-man army. Uh, you know, there are people who do the work of one person. And then there are, you know, there's like the world's strongest man. He can lift like the work of three people, right? So he happens to be a person who's like having three people. At, he's <laughs> doing the work of three people. Uh, at once, uh, he has the horsepower and the motivation to do that. Um, but otherwise, he has one guy that assists him uh, in some in his software engineering. And uh, we have a co- two two customer service. They need to work about half the day to do that. Someone, uh, one of those customer service people manages our wholesale orders, uh, so okay. they need to process those to the warehouse. And sometimes there's trucks picking them up. There's some work to do with the logistics there. Everything else, though, is is hired. Uh, only for specific skill sets on specific projects, only when needed. So for example, uh, we're going to add some new sleeves to the website. All of the images on the website are actually 3D uh, photorealistic renderings. So there's a guy in Russia. All that guy does, $50 an hour, is really good 3D renderings and 3D you know, animations, uh, sort of photorealistic animations of things. So when I need it, I just send him a message. Uh, he's on Upwork. He bills me through Upwork. I say, need it. And he says, okay, I can do it tomorrow. Or I need like a week. You know, I can't get sometimes the things exactly when I want them. Yeah. But other designers, uh, I need a few new images. There's a guy in Argentina who does that. And I'm going to need packaging for a new auto blow. That guy is in Brazil that I've used for many years. Uh, so I, I just got a new distributor in Europe. We needed translations into eight languages of all of our product descriptions. So I just went on Upwork. I opened a project. Hey, we need all these translations. Invited some top freelancers there and uh, got the project done that way. So anything that we need, um, I, I, to be honest, I don't, when I see people who do our size business uh, and they have an office full of people, I honestly don't know what you could have those people do all day because we do not have, like we have, we sell all this stuff online. We sell all to distributors. We deal with the logistics. You know, you could have someone, uh, for example, when we ship, we, we ship a lot of containers every year from China to the U.S. I just have someone from our shipping, you know, DSV pretty much does that. But I guess if you really wanted to, you could tell an employee, your job is going to be handling logistics and like this thing and that thing. And this person could do nothing like 60% of the so time. They get bored. But, they get bored. Yeah. So 
a lot of things just come to me. Like I do a lot of stuff maybe that would be out of the role of a normal CEO. Mm-hmm. Like I did those translations. I did the translations that managed all those translators and put together this spreadsheet for this distributor. And my email box is a really a mix of things. You know, if I'm just like looking right. at my email and see what's there, all kinds of like mixed things. So I think, uh, so frankly, I don't know what a company it does. I deal with a factory myself. I could have someone who's like in charge of dealing with factories for manufacturing. Mm-hmm. What are they supposed to do like for 92% of the other time? I have no idea. So I don't understand how people do what they do with so many people and why, but I, that is the normal way to do things and right. good for them because <laughs> it's unnecessary. <laughs> good yeah, for us, not good for them. <laughs> yeah. One point I want one point I want to make, um, and this would link up to your um, your question around you know what these people do. I find a lot of these guys, um, these companies, um, you know, invest a lot on content creation, and they just want an engine. And some other companies have figured out a way to to outsource you know content creation to to influencers or you know their customers themselves. But a lot of them have like big content creation teams, also retention teams, and you know acquisition teams. But what I noticed with 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 what you're doing is you you're doing less of content because um content is is challenging to 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 make with 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 autoblow i I would think at least you're obviously doing some content collaborations you said with um with youtubers you 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 know you resonate with um yeah. but you've replaced that content piece quite cleverly with press with you know yeah. with well thought out press that gets att- at the end of the day we're putting out content to get attention. Uh, but you figured out a way to get attention with stories and products, you know, integrated with each other, which, you know, is a double whammy, essentially, in, in the sense that, um, one, it does generate sales, and two, it generates attention, you know, um, which yeah. which is interesting. So do you do you have any content creation initiatives besides the collaborations with um, with the YouTube, um, you know, um, 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 so comedians or, um, or, or is it really this press that you, you, you put your, your 80, you know, percent, um, you know, focus on? I mean, the thing about the press is that you, I need a new product to, to get it pitch. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not, uh, it's not an, uh, and, and, you know, the, the last big one was the automoblow stuff that happened like that was last summer in the middle of COVID. There's not mm-hmm. really been any big press thing since then. So uh, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that's, uh, it's not exactly dependable, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but mainly I think it's that our type of uh, product, the search for our type of product has gone up, uh, especially mm-hmm. during COVID with more people wanting to buy this kind of product and also just with more people using e-commerce. So uh, when they're searching for it, because it's had already all these connections to on YouTube or in the news or from Google AdWords or on porn, you, once you come into this marketplace and you look for it, then you're going to find out about our, our type of product. So, uh, okay. I'm just going to wrap up Brian, um, to, with with a lightning round, it's essentially rapid fire, um, session. I'm going to ask you about five, maybe six questions. And if we could use a single, you know, um, sentence to answer them, um, it'd be great. Okay. Ready when you are. Yeah. All right. right. Let's do it. All right. Awesome. What advice would you give yourself five years ago? Uh, first, it's more than a sentence, but I never give advice to anybody. I only do experience sharing. Uh, mm. Advice is totally useless and, 
And I always tell people to not listen to any advice, only listen to people who have direct experience on the question that you're asking, right? Mm, mm, mm. So, what two, uh, what two things can't you live with, without? Two things, I guess, uh, my MacBook mm. and uh, a swimming pool. Swimming pool, <laughs> fantastic. Do you live east <laughs> or west swim. Coast in, in the States? Where, I live, where do you live? near Seattle. Okay. Um, what book are you currently reading? Positive Discipline. It's Positive to, Discipline. It's how to handle your two-year-old. <laughs> Bless. <laughs> how many kids do you have? A two-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old and a, a, two a two-month-old. Oh, bless. Uh, well, you're not getting sleep. I have a two-month-old too. <laughs> okay. Out, really? what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just turned two, two days ago. What are your three indispensable tools you use for managing your business? Uh, we use Slack. Yeah. That's really been a game changer. Mm. Alex asked me for years, please, can we move to Slack? I said, oh, no, it seems so complicated. It's great. I love it. It's great. It's great. Um, so there's Slack and there's... Um, uh, I think, honestly, it's our own platform that we built where we log into one platform and the information, this took a long, long, long time to make. We used to, all the information is married together. Our uh, 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 retail sales are when this stuff is ordered in China, when it comes, I yeah. guess you'd call this an ERP, except that we yeah. don't pay some company like two grand a month for this software, we made it. Yeah. And it does yeah. exactly what we want for our business. This is very important because figuring yep. out when to order when there's so many moving pieces, this is one of the main mistakes that we make. It's mm. not ordering on time and having mm. no inventory or air shipping. So I think this system is very important. Yeah. We built. You built out some business intelligence reporting system. Oh, good yeah, I guess. Yeah. And then um, yeah. Yeah. what's been your best mistake to date? By that, I mean a setback that's given you the biggest feedback. A uh, setback that's given us the biggest feedback. Um, I think in product, in physical product development, you know, of course we've had every time we release a new Autoblow version of which there have been five or six, what's the reason we released a new one? Because of complaints of the old one, you know, mm -hmm. does it mean that the old one is shit? No, but it does mean that it can be improved. And so I think knowing that we're, we're, uh, you know, that everything that we sell, we're never completely happy with any release. And we always know that we're going to find out things that we need to fix. So uh, that's, uh, what was your question again? Oh, no, mistakes. Yeah, but best mistake to date. Um, just a yeah, setback not even that's a, giving you the biggest feedback. I think that's not even a like a, like a setback, but it's we, we must continue. We must never continue if, improve. If we yeah. think that any product is the best thing ever, then we're never going to keep going. So I think just exactly. always knowing that, okay, we're going to release this and then we're just going to wait for some like a couple nasty emails. Like it's never going to be perfect, you know? Yeah. Uh, people, yeah, the iPhone reviews on Amazon have shitty, iPhone has shitty reviews on Amazon. So that, I think that should make people feel better when they get customer <laughs> complaints sometimes. All right. Okay. R very last question is, what one piece of advice can you give to online retailers or entrepreneurs listening to this now keen on, you know, just growing their business to eight figures from your, you know, from your experience, you've done it. Uh, detach yourself from Amazon uh, sooner than later because uh, they aren't your friend and yes, 
and eventually you'll be too integrated into their web to leave and you will be like a peasant paying rent to the landlord for a little corner hmm. of his land. Hmm. Hmm. That's powerful. Peasant, <laughs> landlord. Brian Sloan, <laughs> um, you know, I do not regret this, um, this, this session with you. It's been fantastic and it's been, you know, an honor actually having you on. Um, great story. Um, I resonate the whole China thing. Um, and, you know, you have a great product, you're innovative, you know, for people who want to sort of follow you, are you active on any social media networks no. or, um, you're yeah, not I don't use, uh, I really, I don't do, I, I don't like social media. It's kind of terrible. Uh, no, I don't use Twitter or Instagram or any of this, but they could, okay. if they want to say hello, they can go to our company website. It's if they just search very intelligent e-commerce, it's actually the name of the company. Very just search very intelligent e-commerce. It's V-I-E-C-I.com. They could, if go they ahead. go to contact us, it actually goes to me. Um, and I want to thank you also, you know, uh, I decided a few months ago, I wanted to tell my story uh, and clearly not because I think it's going to make people buy Audible, just because I really think that people can be influenced by the story. And uh, I want to share. And most podcasts said, this will be too offensive. Like, you know, uh, we can't take the risk with our audience. And I was like, yeah, yeah, we're not talking about the mechanics of using our product. We're talking about the business. And they were like, sorry, can't take the risk. So I want to thank you for uh, understanding that this is a business story and not a, an offensive one uh, or, or one that people who are adults cannot handle. So you are actually, uh, I think, different than the other people we reach out to because we only got a few people who said, yeah, this sounds totally f interesting to do. So uh, I was dismayed by that. And I appreciate that you uh, have let me tell my story on your podcast. No, it's 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 a pleasure, Brian. And um, it's a great story. It's D to C. You're a founder. That's what we're about. And there, yeah. there, there are many benefits to the audience. Um, what you've done in PR, that is a masterclass in itself. Hint, hint, I'll probably invite you to a masterclass session. But yeah, what you've done in, with PR, you know, given the limitations in, in what you do, it happens in the CBD space. Um, but what you've managed to do has, has been phenomenal. So, you know, it's a pleasure and honor. And, you know, I hope this story, you know, gets amplified, you know, as, you know, as it should, as it ought to. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Fantastic. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X E-Commerce. We encourage you to connect with our community of 2X E-Commerce listeners on our Facebook group, E-Commerce Growth Accelerator Mastermind. Just search for 2X E-Commerce on Facebook to find it. Answer three questions and you'll be approved. Grab the show notes of this episode on our website, 2xecommerce.com. Finally, if you haven't already, give the show a review on your podcasting app. Catch you on the next show and keep growing.